team. Good morning, church. Happy snow day to everyone. Glad that you were all able to make it out over the river and through the woods, through the snow this morning to church. Um, I wonder what your story is. As you sit here today, you know it was interesting. I had occasion uh, this week to visit with uh, one of our congregants who happens to be uh, in the hospital at this time. And as I was speaking to her, she was telling me her story. And I have to tell you, it was so very encouraging. And as she laid in her hospital bed, she looked up at me and she said, you know, pastor, she said, if God could some way use this to draw my son and to draw my granddaughter closer to him, I would love that. I would love that. And, and I was leaving the hospital and I was so encouraged that here is this dear saint who's seeing an opportunity in her affliction. And as, I, as this message and this text that we're going to look at this morning was working through my mind and in my heart, I thought, oh, how God uses our stories to draw people closer to Him and to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've been studying the book of John. We've been going through the book verse by verse, and we've been studying the book in light of the reason it was written, John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. How does God draw us to that place of belief? What are some of the things or avenues that He uses to do that. And we finally reached the end of this amazing encounter with this woman at the well. And as we've been looking over the past few weeks, we, we saw in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 15, that Jesus is able to give us the Holy Spirit, the living water. We saw that the Holy Spirit acts as living waters that well up in us, producing obedience and worship. And last week, obedience and living. And this week, as we come to the conclusion of this encounter, we're going to see how this results in a harvest. There are people who are coming to Jesus. Disciples are being made in church. When we witness these events, this should make us so excited because this is the result of the work of God and the work of Jesus and the Spirit in the life of believers. And so what is our goal today? Well, our goal today is to together explore the answer to two important questions that will be revealed in our text this morning. And the first question is this, how does God use us to draw others to Jesus? And the second question, what does God use to transform and sanctify us once He has drawn us to Himself? If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to John chapter 4, verses 39 to 45. And as you turn there, let's pray together. Father God, we are together this morning and we are entering into a time now where we are going to open your word and we're going to study it together and father as we come together and do that we affirm that your word is powerful we affirm as a body of Christ that the spirit your spirit can work through your word it can cause us to change it can cause us to grow in a greater love for you and a greater love for each other and so, Father, as we look at the conclusion of this 
text that we've been in now for quite some time, the, the conclusion of this interaction that Jesus had with this woman and the fruit that it produced, we pray that you would use your word in an effective way to change us and to help us grow. Lord, we're so thankful for the power that lies in the text of your word. Might we leave here today transformed and changed through its power and through the work of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 39 to 45 today. John chapter 4, verses 39 to 45. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for what we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days he departed for Galilee, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. And and it's amazing, here we are in John chapter 4, and as we've been walking through chapter by chapter, there's actually a pattern that has been established. And it's a pattern that is confirmed in the, books of, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. If you remember, Jesus had already been taken up and the apostles, they were waiting in the upper room and they were waiting for direction on what to do next. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, of course, we have Jesus already here in John chapter 4 at the beginning of his ministry, and he had this feast in Jerusalem. He then interacted with Nicodemus in Judea. Now he's with the woman at the well in Samaria. And next week, we're going to see how he begins his encounter and his progression of his work out into all the ends of the earth as he heals the Roman official's son. And so Jesus even is affirming this pattern that will later be talked about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And again, the question that we're asking and answering this morning is, how does God use us to draw other people to Jesus? And then what does Jesus use to transform and change people once they are drawn to him? And in verse 39 this morning, we observe the answer to our first question. We're going to see that God uses the personal testimony of his work in our lives to draw people unto Jesus. Let me say that again. God uses the personal testimony of his work in our lives to draw people unto Jesus. Now I want to take a look again at verse 39, but I want to look at verse 39 again from the New King James Version, because sometimes, as you know, we have many different versions today that we use in Calvary Monument. Typically, we use the English Standard Version, uh, but sometimes different versions are a little bit more uh, inclusive, and some versions try to be less wordy, and in that, they lose maybe a little bit of the flavor of the text. And I felt that this week, 
the New King James Version does a, does a little bit of a better job with this verse. And so I want to read verse 39 from the New King James Version. Look at it. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. This is the difference now between the ESV and the New King James. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. And, and why I think that's important, friends, is because what we have here is at the beginning of our text, we have the word of this woman, her testimony, her story. And as we get into our text, we have the word of Jesus. And it's not one against the other. Both are effective. Both are useful for something. But I think it's important that we see that, that this word, because of the word, is actually in the Greek text. And I think it's important that we look at it and consider it and include it in our study this morning. So because of the word of this woman, people are coming to Jesus. These townspeople are coming. They believed what she had said. Could this be the Christ? It piqued their interest. They wanted to see. And, and the people of Israel, particularly these Samaritans, they were thirsty and they were starving for the Messiah. The simple testimony of this woman that they believed that this possibly could be the Christ drew them from their city to come to him. I think it's important that we highlight the simplicity of this woman's testimony. You know, it, it's, it's an important reality because in, in today's world, there's a lot of uh, marketing and there's a lot of money and there's a lot of uh, arenas that are sold out because of these elaborate and amazing testimonies that we hear of people. You know, I, I remember uh, growing up one time, I heard a testimony of a man as a man who was a pastor, and, and it was his life before salvation. And it was amazing what he had been in. And you know, it was so complicated and complex, and it was like an entire hour of just a testimony. And, and it was powerful, and I think the Lord can bring fruit from that, but I think we have to be careful that sometimes in those stories and those testimonies, we don't get caught up in the story of the person and miss the power of the Savior who drew that person, right? And, and I think that sometimes, maybe some of us in this room, like myself, that have, quote-unquote, I have a boring testimony, right? We've heard that before. I sat around a campfire circle one night years, years ago, and the whole, the whole reason we were getting together, I was in youth group, and the whole reason we were getting together was for people to share their testimonies. And I remember one by one, people going around the campfire, and it was almost like a one-up, like one-upsmanship kind of thing. Like, I got a better testimony than you. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I, I, I have nothing. <laughs> I have no wild story, no, no explosive past, you know. And, and, I'm, and I think sometimes we get intimidated about sharing our story because maybe we feel like it's boring. But friends, we cannot miss we cannot miss the simplicity of this woman's testimony in our text this morning. And, and we can't miss it. It's simple. It's profound. It's powerful. And ironically enough, friends, the reality is every one of us who sit here today, together, who are united in Christ, our testimonies are exactly the same. Do we, do we realize this? Do we know our testimonies, if you sit here today and you belong to Jesus, your testimony is already written in the scriptures. It's in the Bible. We find our shared testimonies written by the Apostle Paul and all we ever have to share with anyone regarding how Jesus has changed our life 
is written in the book of Ephesians. And friends, let me tell you, it is wild, it is miraculous, it is powerful, and it's something that we never have to think is boring or we ever have to be ashamed of. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Friends, this is our powerful, powerful testimony. This is miraculous. The work of God in our lives. Verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in once which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Friends, before Christ, church, before Christ, this is the reality that we're united in. This is true for every one of us who sits in this room. And sure, some of us have, have had some other things that maybe we got involved in before Christ. But the reality is, the Bible tells us our testimony is every one of us was dead in our trespasses and sins. But one of the most incredible transitions, I think it's probably one of the most powerful transitions in all of Scripture, is verse 4 of Ephesians 2. Isn't it so powerful? This is true of all of us. But, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but, verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, one of the, the beautiful hallmarks of our faith is that every single one of us in this room was exactly the same prior to Jesus. And we sit and we hear these incredible stories and they are powerful and, and I don't want to discredit them. God can use them to draw people to himself. He absolutely can. But we need not be ashamed. We need not think we have a boring testimony. Every one of us that sits in here, that knows Jesus, sits in here as a miracle. We're a miracle. We've been brought from death to life. We're united in our two great problems of sin and death before salvation. And after salvation, we're united in the one person who had the great solution to those problems. Jesus. The resounding story of our lives, the resounding story of our faith is that we were dead and Jesus made us alive. That's all we have to share. That's all the world needs to know. Come and see this Jesus. Come and see him. He has the ability to take what's dead and breathe life into it. He knew us perfectly, each and every one of us. He saw us dead, filthy in our trespasses and sins, and because of his great love for us, he lifts us up. He cleans us up. Friends, Jesus Christ is the author of the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. Our stories belong to Him. He is our salvation. One of the greatest lies in all of history that we believe is that somehow we are able to clean ourselves up. The Scriptures don't give us any evidence of this. This wasn't this woman's testimony. She's not claiming that she did anything here. He told me, verse 39, He told me 
all that I ever did. He did the work. And the most loving thing that a person can do for another person who's unable to clean themselves up is to wash them. The first day we were in Haiti, the first day that we went to the creche, I had never been in a third world country before. I had never been in an orphanage before. And the door opened and there was the creche and our children were not there. They were at a doctor's appointment. And so we had about an hour and a half to two hours to interact with the other children. They opened the door to the room where they call them the littles, where the littles stay. And the littles are these children that are, you know, six months old to two or three years old. And there was probably 20 or so of those little children in a room no bigger the size than this part of the stage right here. And I walked in and I put my backpack on a shelf and I sat down. (laughs) And, and you want to know how amazing it was. These children are crawling all over you, climbing on you. They just want to be loved and they just want to be held. And sure enough, within the few moments that we had been there, they started feeding the children. And when they feed children in Haiti, they don't feed children like we feed children in America. You know, we get those little spoons in America, those little baby spoons, and we just take a little bit and put it in the mouth and make sure they chew it up. They take soup spoons. Literally, massive soup spoons. I'm talking toddlers. They scoop it up and they shove it in their mouth, the whole spoon. And the kids are used to that. So if you don't feed them that way, they actually grab your hand and make you do that and put it in their mouth. So what do you think that creates? That creates children who are walking around a mess. They got food everywhere, all over themselves. And they can't clean themselves up. They can't do it. They're unable to clean themselves up. And so the most loving thing that you can do for these children who are filthy and dirty and need to be cleaned is to come to their level, to draw them to yourself, and to wipe their face. And friends, that is our story. That is our story. That is where we were. That is where Jesus found us. And because of his great love for us, he came to us. He drew us to himself. And when we were unable to clean ourselves up, he cleaned us up. Our testimonies, they're powerful testimonies to a God who brought us from death to life, who told us all we ever did, who knew us perfectly. And as we talk to our friends We don't need to give these elaborate invitations. It's simple, just like this woman. Come, see, could this be the Christ? Could it be? Now watch what happens here in verse 40. Something very interesting. The people of Samaria, they're coming to meet Jesus. And as they're coming, they have a request for him. Verse 40. When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. Stay with us. And he stayed there for two days. It's a simple request, friends. These folks are coming out of town and they want to know, Jesus, will you stay with us? Can we abide with you? Coming to meet Jesus for the first time, the request request was simple. Will you just allow us to stay with you? Friends, why? Why is this their request? Why do they want to stay with Jesus as they come? I think it's because we sit in this room and we come to know people. 
I come to know you, you come to know me as we grow in relationship with each other. We come to know people by hearing what they say and observing what they do. And so if, this, if these people, if they could just come out of town and they could just spend time with Jesus, this woman at the well had, and if they could just hear his words and if this, they, they could just observe his actions, then maybe, perhaps, they would see for themselves that this was indeed the Messiah. And we know, friends, from later teaching in John 15, which we'll get to in four or five years, that abiding in Christ, it produces fruit. It produces fruit. And as these folks stay with Jesus, there will be fruit that's produced from this encounter with him. And this instance of these folks coming and abiding with Christ would produce a significant harvest. And as they abided with Jesus, he was able to share something with them that would completely transform their lives and set them apart. Indeed, it would reveal to them the very reality of his identity. Take a look. At verse 41. Verse 41. Many more believed because of his word. Many more believed because of his word. And as we look at this, this is the answer to our second question that we had today. Our text reveals that Jesus uses his word to transform us and to sanctify us. Verse 41, many more believe. The initial curiosity that drew them because of the testimony of the woman has now given way to their affirmation that indeed this is the Christ that we'll see in the next verse. And because of the ministry of His Word, while they abided with Him, there's a transformation that takes place in their minds. And, and this is interesting, friends. This, this isn't new to the New Testament. There's a formula here. There's a formula, its origins are old. The patriarchs of Israel used a similar formula. This is Joshua chapter 23 on the screen. I just want to look at a small portion of this in verses 1 through 9. Let's start in verse 23, verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Now watch what Joshua's going to do and think about our story here with the woman at the well. Verse 2, Joshua summons all of Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers. And now what he's going to do is he's going to give them testimony of what God has accomplished during his leadership. So this is his story. Just like the woman at the well gave testimony, this is Joshua's testimony now. He says, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all of these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I already have cut off from the Jordan to the great sea to the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God had promised you. Look at all the things that God has done during our time together. Now watch where he goes. Watch where he goes. Stay in the word. This is Old Testament now. Stay in the word. Therefore, verse 6, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law. This was their word. Turning, uh, in the law, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left that you may not mix these 
mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mentions of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down. Remain sanctified, Israel. Remain set apart by staying in the law, by staying in the word. And at the end, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. So verses 2 through 5, testimony of what God has done. Verses 6, abide in the law, abide in the word, we would say today. Verse 7, why? So that you will be set apart, sanctified from all of the other nations that surround you. And so that you will not depend on your own strength, but you'll depend on the Lord. And as a result of your obedience, He will be faithful. Now, press this back into the New Testament and watch this church. This is so powerful. When we're looking at the sanctifying power of God's Word, it's over and over and over again in the New Testament. John chapter 15, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is is truth. There's a sanctifying nature, a cleansing nature to God's Word. Acts chapter 20, 32, Now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified, also set apart. And how is God sanctifying His church, friends? How is He doing it right now today? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water, the Spirit, and with the Word. And friends, it's, it's the power of God's Word that changes people's thinking and transforms their hearts and their minds. And, and it's this very reason why when Paul is giving exhortation to Timothy, and Paul, Paul has to leave Timothy with a message he has to leave him with a final exhortation. And what's his final exhortation? His strong exhortation to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, it's like both books have built up to this one final thing that Paul thinks is so important that Timothy does. Preach the word. Preach the word. Chapter 4 of 2 Timothy I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and friends, as we sit here today, it's not coming, it's here now. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. How does he fulfill his ministry? By staying in the Word. Preach the Word. And I can't say that enough, friends, because as we sit here today, the reality across the landscape of the American church is that we are abandoning the Word at alarming rates. It's, it's, it's almost crazy to me how we're leaving behind 
the Word of God in favor of stories on Sunday morning. Of, of silly things that have no eternal consequence. And we're abandoning the Word because it doesn't fit into our culturally perceived definitions of what constitutes a marriage. There's all kinds of myths out there, right? Myths about the creation of our world. Myths of a world that, where we can uh, define equality and tolerance. Myths uh, of, of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And yet, friends, the Bible that we hold in our hands every Sunday morning and hopefully every day throughout the week, that word has the answers to the questions that are plaguing our culture. And, and it's only in that word, it's only through that word where the Spirit can transform minds and hearts. And so I know I've said it from up here before, but I think we need to repeat it over and over and over again. When friends come to you, when people come to you with questions about how, how do you do this or how do you say that or how, what does your church teach about this or what, don't, don't just tell them what, what we think. Give them the word. Give them the word. It's the safest place to go. It's the safest place to come from. And it is the most powerful. Friends, we must hold fast to the faithfulness of God's word. We cannot be shaken. We cannot be moved. His words must be preached from our pulpits. And we have, we have to do it without fear of consequence or repercussion from our culture and from our world. And friends, as we live, we know that there are challenges to this. We know that there may, in our, to, in our times today, many may look and say there's reasons for us to be fearful about this. But friends, when we are faithful to preach and teach the Word of God from the pulpit, in our Sunday school classes, in our home groups, in our children's ministry, He is faithful to not allow it to return void. We know... We talked about last week that there is no uh, chance encounters. That every encounter we have every day is a sovereign appointment from God. Friends, every time God's word is open and every time God's word is preached, God will use it to accomplish his intended purposes for that moment. It doesn't depend on me and my eloquence of speech or wisdom. As Garrett shared a few weeks ago, wonderful verse. It was like a piece of steak. I've been chewing on it for like two weeks and enjoying it because it's so good, right? But it, it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on you. We don't have to be great at building these lofty arguments because it's the word of God that stands by its own power and by its own authority, it doesn't, he doesn't need us. He, he uses us. That's a, a lovely reality. He uses us. But he doesn't need us to accomplish his intended purposes in how we preach and teach his word. I have to tell you our habit, friends, at Calvary Monument, it, since I've been here, is to preach. We're going to preach through a book of the Bible. And, and maybe some of you wonder, well, why do we do that? Why do we preach through a book of the Bible? Why don't we just pick different topics like they do in other churches and and preach through different topics and things like that. i got to be honest, because I believe that it depends a lot less on me when we're preaching through a book of the Bible. In other words, after I'm done on Sunday, I don't have to go back to my office and think, what in the world am I going to speak on next week? I don't, the text unveils itself. It's right there. 
And so for me, it depends a lot less on me when we're preaching through a book of the Bible because it exposes itself as we follow along in the book. The greater challenge then, friends, is for the teacher of God's Word, for the preacher of God's Word, for the expositor of God's Word. It lies within the struggle of feeling like we don't have to dress it up, right? Just like with our testimonies. I have a boring testimony. I don't know if I can share. We think, well, I'm not a very good teacher. I'm not a very good communicator. I don't know if I can really clearly expound on God's Word and teach it, but it doesn't depend on us we don't have to dress it up friends it stands on its own power and its own authority and it's beautiful without us having to dress it up it's powerful to stand on its own i believe that god's word has the power to change lives and as we're dependent on the content held within his word then we're less dependent on the stories and the testimonies of men, and of this woman at the well, right? Thanks, Alan. It, it is, it's so true. It's so true, and it's, it's, it, it's you know, these, these people, they're, they're, as they come to Jesus, there is a transformation in their thinking, right? And, and just one more verse, if I could, that just affirms this. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so friends, we can't make it any more clear this morning on Sunday morning that it is God's word, God's word that transforms and changes people. And he uses his spirit and his word to produce faith in our lives. And look at this trans- transformation that happens in our text. Look at verse 42. There's a change in thinking, right? Initially, these folks came, and why did they come initially? They came because the testimony, because the story of the woman. So it's not bad versus good here. It's not that testimonies are bad and God can't use them. There's a purpose for them. But once they came, there's a transformation that took place as they abided in the word with Jesus. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves. Faith comes through hearing, right? We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is indeed the Savior of the world. And this evidence of their newly found faith, friends, is seen in this confession. And doesn't it remind you of another confession in the book of Matthew? Right? Remember when Jesus was talking to Peter? And he says to Peter, he says, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a confession. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now look at this. This is really important, friends. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. They didn't come to this conclusion by their own strength, by their own power, or by the testimony of other things that they had seen with their eyes. It was God who revealed this truth to them. Peter did not come to this revelation on his own power. It was the ministry of Jesus and the power of his word that confirmed this reality in Peter's mind. There's a pattern here, friends, in verse 42. We've heard for ourselves, and now we know. We are convinced. And that's how God's word works. The initial belief 
is moved towards being convinced. And their convinced minds leads them towards a conviction that causes them to confess what they now know and understand to be true of Jesus. Their lives are changed. So we ask ourselves, as we come towards the end of our text, frequently on Sunday morning, how should our lives look in light of these realities? Look down at verses 43 to 45. This is immediately following this great harvest that had just happened. These townspeople that are confessing that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. They've come to Him. And He promised to stay for two days. And look at, look at what He does in verse 43. He moves on. After the two days, He departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Friends, Jesus, his work wasn't finished. And and in our lives, as we come to church on Sunday mornings and we get together throughout the week in home groups or, or studying God's word at a coffee shop or in an ABF or wherever it might be, God's not finished. And, and Jesus, he, he moves on in obedience. You know, I think, you know, many of us would have maybe wanted to stay, get to know these people better, see the transformation that was taking place, hang out, build relationships, but that wasn't the plan that God had for Jesus in that moment. And so he moves on. And we will see Jesus' ministry to the Gentiles beginning next week as he continues to be obedient to the will of God. In his life. Enjoy the harvest, friends. Enjoy the work that God is doing all around you. Enjoy the things that God brings to you as you walk in his will, but continue to walk in obedience. Continue to move on in what he has for you. And, friends, the challenge to not be ashamed as we sit here today of our testimonies, of the work that Jesus has done in our lives, no matter how boring. Or simple we might think they are. They're incredibly powerful. And we never know how God might use our stories to draw someone unto himself. And then finally, friends, coming from the Bible. When we're talking to people in our communities. And we're getting together with people at the coffee shops. In our small groups. Whatever we might be doing. Come from God's word. It's the safest place And the Word has the power to change lives. Just read it, friends. Read it together. If you don't love God's Word, ask Him to kindle a passion in you and a love within you for His Word. Come to it over and over again. I promise, friends, it will not return void. He will use it to answer the greatest questions that you have concerning all the things that are going on in this world. You don't have to turn on Fox News or CNN or whatever channel you watch. They have some nice things on those channels from time to time. But God's word is so much more powerful, so much more sufficient. And here's the more important reality of God's word. The answer's in it, friends. They haven't changed. They have not changed. One of the greatest quotes that I ever heard, Dr. Tony Beckett said, quote, in times of great change, this is in regards to God's word, he said, in times of great change, Some things never change, end quote. And so in 20 years, when our culture's definition of marriage and what it means to be a man and a woman is changed and different from what it is now, guess what? God's word never did. 
is still as true as it is today, as it was thousands of years ago, and as it will continue to be in the future. His word never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we conclude this morning, we're going to conclude with the team coming forward, and we're going to sing of our affirmation of this belief. As last week we participated in saying the Apostles' Creed together, which I think is very important for the church to unite around and say together regularly, this morning we're going to sing and affirm our belief through song. Churches, you're dismissed today. Might that testimony be your story. And might God use it as you share it to draw others close to Him. And might they find transformation and sanctification in the cleansing and the washing.